This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Trying to be the best you can be in everything you do is a wonderful quality, but remember to be kind to yourself as you go along. Valeria Tellez interviews Julian Reeve, the author of Captain Perfection and the Secret of Self-Compassion, a self-help book for the young perfectionist. Born in Cambridge, England, Julian has enjoyed a successful and varied career in music, business, and education. Julian traveled the world as a musician, working on over 25 major musical theater productions across the U.S., Asia, Europe, Scandinavia, and extensively in London's West End before moving from England to the USA, where he became the music director for the Broadway musical Hamilton on its first national tour. He was presented with the Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle and the Broadway World Award for Best Music Direction for his work on the show and went on to conduct the production at the Bellas Artes Theater in Puerto Rico starring Lin-Manuel Miranda. In business and education, he produced and promoted the UK tour of Oletta Adams in concert before co-founding Boland & Reeve in London a boutique talent agency representing over 100 performers in theater, television, and film. He worked extensively as a performance specialist in many of the UK's leading performing arts schools before becoming a faculty member for the Broadway experience in Tokyo and New York. He then went on to create the Elevate Workshop Series in Los Angeles, an educational company providing Broadway workshops to schools and theater companies around the world. Julian was just 43 when he suffered a mild heart attack after conducting a performance of the Broadway musical Hamilton in San Francisco. Work with a psychologist would identify perfectionism as the root cause, and having now quit performing due to injury, he strives to change the way perfectionism is perceived and managed to ensure that perfectionists and the companies that employ them are able to thrive. Meet Julian at julianreeve.com. Here is the interview with Julian Reeve. In your own words, who is Julian Reeve? Mm, Great question. Uh, Somebody who's trying to make a difference right now with perfectionism and self-compassion. Lifelong musician, sadly not doing that as a career anymore. But um, yeah, uh, passionate about conversation and um, yeah, encouraging well-being within the general community. Would you call that a purpose that you found your purpose in life? 
Very much so. It's a shame that it was kind of born in the way that it was. Um, yeah. But they say that, you know, tragedy does kind of um, fuel some positivity and point us in, in different directions. And yes, absolutely. I, I, I do believe I'm on the path that I'm supposed to be on. I often ask the question about if it's always necessary to go through tough times to understand profound lessons. And most often than not, I get the answer that yes, <laughs> not not in every case, but most cases, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's uh, it's 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 part of life, isn't it? I right. think. And uh, you know, I, I think arguably we learn more from the things that affect us very deeply and the the pain that that, that entails, uh, rather than the than life's highs sometimes. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience, Julian? Oh, love that question. Mm-hmm. I'm a strong believer in the fact that we all have a duty to, to, to be the best that we can be. Uh, whatever that means. Everyone has different uh, talents and and uh, drives and ambitions. And there's no right and there's no wrong. Uh, I do think showing up and committing to whatever it is that you are built to do uh, is super important. And I think if we all did that, I think we would be living in a very different world than we are right now. And I wonder what gets in the way of finding meaning and purpose in life. Would you say fear or perfectionism at that? Yeah, absolutely. Both of those. I, I think a lot of it too is that, you know, we don't, I don't believe we ask the right questions early enough in life. Mm, um, you yeah. know, I, I did a, a, a really fun chat with uh, 600 children in in, uh, in England yesterday between the ages of 11 and 18. And a lot of the talk was really encouraging them to, you know, even though that they're growing and still establishing their character and, and how, how they want to behave and who they want to be in life and all those things, you can still ask yourself the, the fairly deep fundamental questions mm-hmm. as in why. Um, and I'm, I'm a big believer in that question uh, and try and try and ask myself why uh, in pretty much everything I do. Um, you know, it, what, what's the why behind the sentence that I've just written? Is it strong enough? And I, I think if we, if we kind of commit to to that kind of knowledge early enough, then, you know, that can certainly put us on a stronger path later on. And I agree in that. Would you call that self-knowledge? Yeah. Yeah, some call it wisdom too. Mm-hmm. But it seems like wisdom takes experience, right? Yeah, completely agree with that. I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't call myself wise. I, don't, I doubt I will ever call myself <laughs> wise. That's probably my perfectionism talking. Right, um, but right. yes, I, I do believe that, you know, knowledge, self-knowledge is very different from wisdom. Wisdom is a is probably the mastering part of your self-knowledge. So you, you've, mm-hmm. you've done the digging, you've figured out what it is. Now you have to master it. And, and I think, you know, wisdom comes from the mastery of self, mm-hmm. which then translates to helping others uh, master themselves. And then the question about mastering, what are we looking for? What are we trying to master really? What's the destination per se? Yeah, I do, well, I kind of walking hand in hand with what I said earlier about committing to be the best that you can be. I think, right. you know, we're all aiming for very different things. And that's great because we need everyone to aim for very different things. Otherwise, it would be a very one-dimensional world and it just wouldn't function properly. Sure. Um, so, you know, what what are we aiming for, I think, is... I, I think the the one of the important things to to remind yourself when you're asking those questions is to eliminate the word should. Mm. 
Mm, Um, You know, I should do this, I should do that because other people expect me to, or I should do this because society demands this of my age group or peer group or whatever that looks like. Um, None of that is true. And you will will get further away from your true authenticity Mm. um, the more you actually use the word should. So I kind of learned in my early 30s that that actually removing that word from from my language was really important. And I, I, I know that I grew incredibly um, because of that decision. And success, how do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Um, Success for me is happiness, Uh, whatever that looks like. Again, happiness is a very personal decision. Uh, It's a very personal feeling. Um, That can mean family to some. That can mean money to others. There's no right and there's no wrong. Happiness to me is balance. Uh, I'm not there yet. I don't know whether I'll ever find true balance in life. It's very, (laughs) very difficult. Um, But it's certainly a much happier place uh, than it it kind of uh, certainly was in my 20s and 30s. So, yes, happiness for me. And I will dig a little bit um, deeper into that happiness idea. So what brings you happiness? What is happiness to you? I think happiness, um, I, I find a lot of joy in my work, um, yeah. irrespective of what it is. I, I just, you know, I, it took me a long time to be okay with that too, because, yeah. you know, people, society is very quick to say, well, don't work too hard, you'll burn out. Yeah. But what if I enjoy my work? What if mm. I get gratification from my work, which I do? Um, I have to remind myself, um, and this is kind of why I made the comment about finding balance, I have to remind myself that even though I enjoy it, it's still not good to do all the time. Mm. Um, so... Yeah. You know, happiness to me is the right amount of work combined with the right amount of downtime. And that downtime can be anything from time with my wife to time on the beach to time alone reading a book uh, to, you know, lighting fires to taking the dog for a walk, um, Mm -hmm. going for a drink with friends. You know, whatever it really looks like, I I, I think, um, you know, one thing that I'm very conscious of myself is that because I have been so work orientated in the past, um, I I don't have too many hobbies. Um, in fact, I, I don't really have any outside of what I've just listed. Um, and yeah. I don't, I don't really think that's a negative, but mm. I do. It's it's on it's it's in my psyche to broaden my horizons this year. That's that's that was one of my kind of. Well, what do you want to get done mm. for twenty one? That's that's mm. what I want to do. Um, and now that we're we're settled where we are, perhaps you know, getting further into the community and, and outreach that way. Yeah, and it seems like you're doing that, finding this new way of having joy and happiness. Yeah, it could be doing this, even speaking on what you believe in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, very much so. 2020 has been a different time. So challenging, change. What insights have you gained from 2020? How did you change? Yeah, 2020 for all of us was was chaos, right? I mean, yeah. none of us expected it. We were thrown into this unknown world that, yeah. uh, quite frankly, we weren't prepared for. And, right. you know, we didn't really have the tools. So we kind of had to look around for those tools. Um, and I, I know certainly everyone I've spoken to to date has, has learned an awful lot. Um, I, I think what I've learned is... You know, 2020, in a strange way, for the first part of lockdown was very much part of the plan because I was always um, destined to to kind of write this book. And it was all it was all set to be written around the time that I wrote it. So in that in that way, it didn't really affect me too much at the beginning. 
because I'm a very kind of glass half full thinker, um, <laughs> I'm very good at, you know, oh, everything's fine, mm-hmm. even yeah. when it's not. Right. Um, and yeah. so I think the biggest thing that I've learned is I've learned to listen to what my body tells me even more. I got better mm-hmm. after the heart attack in 2017 in terms of the physical yeah. symptoms, but the mental uh, symptoms, the, the psychological effect of being in the same place all the time, not interacting as much as we want to, um, you know, lack of interaction with family, all, all of that sort of stuff um, sends very different signals to 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 a heart attack, for example. So I, I think I've kind of developed some nuance and understanding in in that way, and kind of learned to recognise what those what those triggers are, and then you know, given myself freedom to actually lean into that and for that to be okay. So my last warm up question is about freedom. What is to be free from your perspective? I think freedom is present. And what I mean by that is that you're not affected by the past or the future. That's really where complete freedom lies for me. And as a performing musician, I found that quite difficult um, because certainly as a perfectionist, you can be looking over your shoulder as to what happened last night in the show. You can also be looking forward to, well, you know, I know I've got this really difficult piece coming up. You know, I don't want to screw it up in front of two and a half thousand people. (laughs) You're rarely in the present. But when you find that present and there was a very powerful experience that happened to me. I was conducting Hamilton at the Kennedy Center in DC. Um, and this was sometime after the heart attack. And I'd gone through all sorts of journeys with self-compassion and meditation and all those things. Um, and I found myself so relaxed and so kind of focused that I was able to watch myself conduct the show. So oh, I was kind wow. of floating above myself about five feet in the air. And I was able to see the stage in front of me. I was able to look directly down on me. And I was also able to see the audience reaction. Wow. Um, and and that, all of this is, you know, in, in the middle of a show with two and a half thousand people behind me and obviously a stage full of actors in front of me and and an orchestra beneath me um so that was a really powerful um powerful experience and all brought around by present because I, i i wasn't worried about what happened last night i wasn't worried about what was going to happen it was simply present and learning to enjoy, you know, yes, you can still recognize thoughts. You know, right, we can be right. mindful with with thoughts as, as they crop up, but we don't have to engage with them. And I think just I, I remember being so free uh, in that in that moment. Um, and I actually, it, it, uh, it affected me very deeply. And I ended up uh, in tears for quite a long time after the show. Uh, yeah, that sounds to me like a, a, a mystical experience or an out-of-body uh, spiritual right. experience, really. Uh, they call it spiritual awakening, even. I know you um, talk about meditation and mindfulness. Do you have any other beliefs or practices that are connected to spirituality? Um, breath. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think breath work is so important and and I had no idea how important it was and how intrinsically attached it is to performance and to anxiety and all of those things and you know after the heart attack I was uh, you know I got into some work with it with a psychologist and he introduced me to self-compassion and then my work through self-compassion introduced me to meditation and breathing and ironically I found that I was 
uh, I had a real problem with my breath because my breathing technique was inverted. So when you breathe in, your diaphragm, your your gut is supposed to expand. And when right. you breathe out, it's supposed to retract. Mine yeah. was inverted. So whenever I was breathing in, my, my gut was going in and, and breathing out, my gut was going out. Um, so I wasn't breathing properly. And that also uh, paid uh, or, or, or was very difficult in performance because we actually found out in a show at certain parts when, you know, things are tricky and a bit tense, I would hold my breath. So I had to really kind of learn how to breathe again, as in go back to r- real basics. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's breath work for me goes hand in hand with meditation in terms of being able to, you know, start the, start the day clear and clean and with a, with a clean slate. And that, that's, that's now a very much an integral part of, of my kind of daily routine. Do you call these practices spiritual or just health well-being practices? That's that's a great question. I don't I don't think I do. I, I think simply because of how I value them, I regard yeah. them almost as practical rather right. than spiritual. Yeah. Because I, I know yeah. that my body responds well to to what I do because I've kind of practiced enough to know what works best for me. And and again, in the right. same way that, you know, we were talking about things being a personal choice meditation and breathing is a very personal decision in terms of what works for you what styles what you you know whether you want guided meditation or silent meditation you know what whatever that looks like yeah. um so yeah for for me i've just i've just realized okay this works even if i do it for two minutes even if i breathe for two minutes with my eyes closed it it, it really helps me so yeah I, I i i suppose i file that under under practical uh, rather than spiritual So you wrote the book, Captain Perfection and the Secrets of Self-Compassion, a self-help book for the young perfectionist. And I said earlier, uh, off record, this is actually for all of us. (laughs) It's a huge reminder for me. I have been um, reflecting a lot more about it. So my initial question for you about your work is the intention. What was the intention of writing your book? Sure. Well, I did, when I was music director of Hamilton, I had a heart attack after a show, and um, it proved to be my right coronary artery was proved to be ninety percent blocked. And work with a psychologist would kind of uh, reveal perfectionism to be the the cause because I'd basically treated myself so badly uh, through you know a debaucherous lifestyle, shall we say, in my twenties and thirties, trying to quiet the inner critic, trying to make myself esteem uh, grow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And so um, I, I, my, my first kind of venture into perfectionism was very much as a self-growth thing, as in how it can help me. But I realized later on, once I'd left the show, that actually there's still a lot of work to do in the subject. Uh, so I did a TED Talk in 2019 about it. But I also realized that a lot of my issues with perfectionism could have been prevented had I known about them when I was a child. I didn't know about them when I was a child because perfectionism was largely unresearched and discovered before around 1990. And I was born in 1974. So I grew up in a very perfectionistic environment. Both of my parents were very highly successful uh, educators and and musicians. Um, And they were both perfectionists. And I was a perfectionist probably from the age of four. But we never talked about it because we never realized that that's what we were. Um, So I basically set about with with this book, um, I set about writing the book that I wish I could have read when I was that age. 
True. And you did a beautiful job. I love the uh, illustrations and they are fun to look at it. And it's so simple. I love simplicity. So the way you talk is just, to me, goes back to that idea of spirituality. It's very simple. So simple. So perfectionism. You talk about uh, healthy perfectionism and unhealthy perfectionism. So I would love to know what constitutes perfectionism in general, and also how do you distinguish them? How were you able to distinguish the two? Yeah, I, so society has kind of got into a little bit of a bad habit with perfectionism in kind of thinking about it as one thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's really important to remember that it's multidimensional. Um, mm -hmm. We could talk probably for several hours in terms of how multidimensional it is. I mean, the, the kind yeah. of leading psychologists on perfectionism aren't actually all agreed in terms of how it should be measured, um, how we actually describe it and portray it, because there are there are several uh, ways to describe and portray it. The, the way that I portray it in the TED Talk was simply to identify two parts of perfectionism. The, there are other ways, but I felt at the time that this was the easiest for people to relate to. So positive perfectionism and negative perfectionism is, is better described as adaptive perfectionism and maladaptive perfectionism. Adaptive perfectionism is all the healthy stuff. So, you know, perfectionists, adaptive perfectionists are known to be highly conscientious their work ethic is incredible. Their attention to detail is incredible. And, you know, the general drive to want to be the best um, and want to be their best uh, is, is in, if it's approached in a healthy way, is described largely by that adaptive side. Right. Maladaptive side is very, very different. Maladaptive perfectionism is largely when we're pushed to do something rather than want to do something. Mm. So the driving is it comes from somewhere else. So mm. even if even though we're striving for, let's say, we're, we're, let's just argue that we're, we're striving for perfection in making the next iPhone, which Steve Jobs actually did because he, he was a, a very famous and well-known perfectionist. If you're, if you're pushing yourself because you want to achieve that, that's kind of adaptive perfectionism. If you're pushing yourself because you you think that, that you have to, either for others or for yourself and you are worthless unless you achieve that goal, mm -hmm. that's unhealthy perfectionism. So wow. the the two are, are they're kind of subtle differences, but actually they're not subtle at all. Um, and it's really important that we get back to that to to kind of thinking about perfectionism in in those ways. The fact that it is adaptive and maladaptive. Those are uh, different terms, right? Negative, right. yeah. That's I never heard it that way. Interesting. So that really resonates true to me. Fear, yeah. Low self esteem. Uh, this low, um, let's say, yeah, this idea of not having enough self-worth that will lead us to have or develop this negative perfectionism. That really makes sense. And what I love about your message too, which is very simple to me, is that if it's coming from a place of self-knowledge, if we know what we want and we are trying to do what we want, we are doing what we want in life, then it's okay, it won't cross that line. It's that possible to even, if you love doing what you do, it was your case, you still uh, are at risk of becoming, uh, let's say, dysfunctional with perfectionism. Yes, and, and that's actually the hardest part of, of my work, really, is connecting with people with that message. Because, you know, 
nine probably 9.99% or, or sorry out of out of 10 perfectionists will won't want to look at their perfectionism in any way and the reason why is yeah. that they value it Mm, so they, yeah. they they believe that their perfectionism gives them the edge over the competition. They believe that it actually makes them special. So, yeah. and that they actually also believe, and this is um, dictated by the fixed mindset that mm. that perfectionists are governed by. That they also believe that actually there's nothing that they can do about all the bad stuff. You know, the anxiety, the depression, the burnout, the suicidal thoughts, oh, the wow. high blood pressure, the cardiovascular disease, all of that stuff. They think that well. If I'm a perfectionist, I've just I've got to put up with those in order to, you know, uh, kind of benefit from the adaptive parts, and that actually isn't true. So to your point, it's about knowledge and it's about understanding. And you know, when I work individually with people, I go right back to, you know, where did your perfectionism come from? But we very quickly get into what are your values? You know, what, what what are the parts that you want to keep? What are the parts that drive you crazy? And we get into very simple techniques in terms of how we can make life, you know, slightly easier. So, for example, if if you're, you know, a high, high achieving um, business woman, business man, wh- whatever that looks like, and, you know, you're, you know that your adaptive perfectionism makes you different at work, you really enjoy the detail that you go into, et cetera, et cetera, that's one thing. If there then you drive home after a after a day at the office and then you come home and you spend three hours putting your fridge in alphabetical order because that, that is what perfectionism is to you, wow. then, then there's something very wrong. And right. so it's simple, and this is a really trick that I get, a really mm-hmm. neat trick that I just get people into very, very early on. <laughs> Prioritize your perfectionism. You're going to release stress and anxiety immediately by making those choices. So write down the three things that perfectionism does for you and uh, write down three things where it doesn't do anything for you, but it affects you in really negative ways. And the minute that you can try and shift the mindset to a growth mindset and realize that actually by reducing your experiences with the parts of perfectionism that doesn't serve you, you're you're then going, oh, wait a minute. And the, the kind of deeper work within that is that by taking the fridge ordering out of the equation, yeah. that yeah. leaves you all of that time to perfect other things that actually you really care about. Yeah. And how you get people there too is you start to prioritize perfectionism dependent on how it affects um, you but also others. So the fridge example is a really good one because yeah, how, many people, how many people actually see the inside of your fridge? True. Nobody, right? So yes. why, why does it matter so much? If it matters to you, why not put all that time and energy and commitment into something that actually matters for you and others? So therefore, you're 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 almost maximizing your adaptive perfectionism by minimizing your maladaptive experiences. And then now the solution per se that you have found, which resonates all the way through to me, it's self-compassion. So would you say that that's the antidote to perfectionism? 
Yes, um, and it's kind of proven to be so. So the, the self-compassion uh, was was kind of proven to regulate our experiences with depression, um, which it, it is amazing. And that's, a, you know, it was a powerful study that came out of Australia in 2018. I, I still find it so fascinating that we find it so difficult to be to be kind to ourselves we're we're actually you know for the for the good people amongst us which is probably all of us you know we're we're much better at we're much better at looking after other people and having compassion for others than we are ourselves um and you know much of the book kind of focuses on building that language for children so that they can use that as a solid foundation moving forward. And I think a lot of the reason why people really connect with this book is that the self-compassion message is almost separate from the perfectionism, as in it can be treated uh, as a as a kind of, you know, as a standalone thing uh, that of value outside of its relationship in terms of how it can help perfectionistic kids. Kind of my experience having kind of uh, released the book and, and kind of seeing its its reaction and, and how people feel about it, it could be that actually the real value in the book is actually much more about self-compassion than it is about perfectionism. But we'll see. Um, it's it's a, it's, it's a fascinating subject. Kristin Neff, who's the kind of leading psychologist on the subject, has done some, I mean, incredible work. Um, check, check her out. I yeah, mean, actually, yeah, if, you just, if you just put self-compassion, I think it's .org, yeah. um, into, uh, into Google, uh, you'll find her work. But I've, I've had so much value out of everything that she's researched and said and spoken about. It's, um, yeah, she's really an incredible woman. Do you understand self-compassion as also self-love, Julian? Yes, I think so. I mean, it, it, it's slightly, I think one part of it is. Yeah. So self-compassion for those that don't know, and Kristin um, came up with, with this definition, is broken down into three components. So you have self-kindness, yeah. where we learn to be warm and understanding to ourselves. And that's the bit that I think correlates with with what you just said in terms of you know us being happy and 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 um, you know kind to ourselves, the yeah. the mindfulness element is is where we discover how to observe thoughts and feelings as they arise, but not necessarily suppress or react to them. And then the third part of self compassion is common humanity, where we recognise that suffering and imperfection is part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. So there are kind of it that in itself is multi dimensional as well as perfectionism being multi dimensional. So there's a lot of moving parts and it all comes down to self-knowledge and how you then build the tools to manage, in in this case, manage uh, self-compassion well. Um, But yes, I I do think, you know, the general general feeling of self-compassion is simply being as kind to yourself as you would do your neighbor or your husband or your next door, you know, whatever that looks like. And that there's so much true to that, the idea that we are, it's easier to be kind and compassionate toward other people than ourselves. And that is such an interesting challenge, isn't it, to observe? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And, and again, I, I, I always come back to the why. 
You know, yeah. if if yeah. if I'm unable to, you know, if I give myself a hard time for, you know, sending an email that's not completely perfect or might have a couple of spelling mistakes in it and I'm yeah. giving myself a hard time, why am I giving myself a hard mm. time? Is it because of how I've represented myself? Is it because I feel as though it should have been perfect, et cetera, et cetera? And simply by asking the why, you get further into the journey of, or, you know, you 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 understand that more of the meat that's on the bone, yeah. um, and you can start to really kind of unpack, you know, your your triggers and your limiting beliefs, and you know everything that we've grown up with that kind of hold us back sometimes. And before you know it, you you know you, you're rewiring your brain so that you send the same email six months later, and you don't treat yourself uh, as you would have done six months previously because you've done the work. I do have seen that in myself too oh, for so many years, and it still happens, of course. And I notice that fear is always the cause. I'm afraid of something. So it's yes. fear. And then I ask questions about what's the fear coming from? What is exactly the department? But it's always in general, always fear. And yeah. I have heard that uh, the opposite of fear is love. Would you agree with that, Julian? That's a really good question. I don't. I haven't given that much thought in terms of the 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 opposite. Um, would I consider it love? I yes, I guess I would. It, it, it fear is so interesting because it's so multi layered, yeah, right, and right. you know. So, so I, I'm exactly the same as as you. I'm exactly the same as everybody else. That fear is largely my my main trigger, and it will for me. I've kind of learned that my main fear trigger is when I'm being asked to do something that number one I wasn't expecting to do. <laughs> yeah. And number two, there will be an extra layer of of kind of trigger and reaction if I'm being asked to do something that I I'm either not very good at or I'm doing something for the first time. Right. Um, th those those are my kind of red flags. Um, and and again, you know, it, it's just tuning in to 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 realize that. And I suppose the the reason why I why I agree that love is the opposite is that actually at some point you make the decision to want to do something about your process with fear because you are worth more than going through the experience of the, the going through the, the fear-based experience. So yes, absolutely. It's commitment to self. It's love of self. And that's, that's actually when things get really exciting because you can, you know, re really get, very deep and start to, you know, prioritize and all sorts of things. Um, yeah, that's that's really cool. I like that. It has been amazing for me because from that space also I was able to love others too, be compassionate toward them when they make mistakes, when they are not perfect, <laughs> or when they are afraid of something, then I'm a lot more open and prepared to help them somehow because I have done the work myself. It's an ongoing thing, interestingly. It doesn't really stop. I don't think it's oh, it sure. land. Yeah. yeah, no, we're, we're all the same like that. And anyone that thinks that, you know, they've somehow mastered life, um, well, uh, send me an email because I'd love to know how you've done it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the destination, right? So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending sure. questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Uh, no, I mean, I, I just, you know, I'm trying to get the message out there. The the, the book is called um, Captain Perfection and the Secret of Self-Compassion, available in the US on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. 
uh, as ebook as well as paperback. Um, in terms of ages, it's kind of six plus, but um, you know, everyone's kind of saying that you know this is very much also a book that adults will get something out of, and it's also very much a, a product that that you can enjoy together as a family. I had a lovely email a couple of weeks back from a family in the UK, strangely, and um, they uh, they you know they, it turns out that. They were all perfectionists, so there's there's right. two adults and three kids, mm-hmm. and the the saying in the house is now, well, what would Captain Perfection say? <laughs> um, yeah. And I I love that. I actually got quite emotional when I read the email because yeah. that's kind of job done for me. Um, you know, if actually yeah. I've I've introduced some way of open discussion uh, about perfectionism, and you know, encouraged adults to look at it too because that's so important. You know, the the more perfectionistic adults realise that you know they have to be vulnerable with their kids and actually mm-hmm. simply by the two things by being vulnerable with your child and convincing them that you know you, you're not perfect and you actually none of us deserve to be on the pedestals that they put us on and also empowering your child to believe that they are enough if you if you attack those those two issues and, and then put in um, some uh, self compassion in amongst all of that, you'll make strides very very quickly with a perfectionistic child. So, yeah, I, I'm really hoping the, the the book can do more good. That's courage to me. This um, idea of embracing our our message, whatever we have to say in an authentic way, and just doing that's coming. It's it comes from the heart. So thank you so much for making oh, a difference. You. And I have two more questions for you, the ending questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Very strange you ask that question because it's I, I I don't know why I've been very in touch with not necessarily the end, but I'm I'm I suppose I've got to a point now where I'm I'm very aware of of life and I'm also very aware of how special it is. Um I think the, the the quickest answer I could give is yes. I, I I would make some still I would make some changes with with the work life balance. Um, it's difficult because as we said before, I very much enjoy my work. Um, would I ever have regret for, you know, not spending you know more downtime on the beach, relaxing, you know, spending time with family? Um, possibly, but possibly not. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things where. Balance on a Monday is is great, feels good. That same balance uh, that's identical on a Wednesday will feel completely wrong. Mm, um, right. And I think we kind of have to, you know, lean into that a bit. But yeah, great, great question. And I'm I'm kind of I'm I suppose I'm I'm halfway through answering that. So maybe we should do this again in a few months, and I'll tell you the answer. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear that. <laughs> I love your authenticity. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? That we are all incredible, incredible human beings with so much potential and power and love and opportunity, and we don't see it, um, or we don't see it enough, shall I say. I know that life is a lot more complicated than we are in control of. I think, you know, we've all learned some lessons in that regard in the last four years. You know, there's been so much discourse and, you know, the the, the divides are very wide, sadly. And, you know, I, I don't I don't think they're any wider than they have been. They've just been brought to the surface. And that's that's so so kind of, you know, the just the realization that, that life isn't always within our control is is something I know 
know to be. And, you know, speaking of authenticity, it's something that's very close to my heart. And, you know, I, I think we all have an opportunity um, to be truly authentic. And I know that in that authenticity, all of us have something important and worthy to say um, on whatever platform with however many likes. It's not about that. It's it's about, you know, the, the depth. It's about the how you, you communicate. Um, and all of it is triggered from the why. But we, we all have it. Uh, and it, I, I think it's super important that we commit to finding it and spreading whatever that message is. Thank you so much, Julian, for your wisdom, profound wisdom, your beautiful presence, open and authentic, the work that you do, bringing compassion to the world. That's, to me, compassion really to the world and others in life starts here with us. So self-compassion first and then compassion to others. So I love your work. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Valeria. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Sure. The, the website is all the W's, Julian Reeve, dot com. Uh, the Captain Perfection uh, website is captain-perfection.com. Uh, the book's available on, on both of those websites. And, and actually, there's some fun stuff for kids uh, on the Captain Perfection site uh, with some swag and also some free downloads for uh, more self-compassion tools, which has been really valuable in lockdown. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on all the social channels. And so re reach out, you know, if you've got any issues with perfection that you want to explore, let me know and I'll, I'll certainly do my best to help. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks, Valerie. Take care. Thank you, Julian. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Julian Reeve and his work, please visit julianreeve.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>